This is the Gwinnett Pulse, a podcast by the Gwinnett African American Caucus, Democratic Party of Georgia. This is a podcast from the Gwinnett African American Caucus of the Democratic Party of Georgia. Today, we will be discussing the social, mental, and emotional upheaval in our community since the killings of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and most recently, right here in Atlanta, Rayshard Brooks. In the last two weeks, we have watched the Minneapolis police murder George Floyd by a knee to the neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds while he said, I can't breathe and called out for his mama. And just last Friday, right here in Atlanta, we saw the police murder Ray Sharp Brooks by shooting him three times in the back. As a result, our community has been in an uproar. First, there was violence and looting, and now there are peaceful protests against police brutality and a street in Washington, D.C. that leads to the White House, renamed to Black Lives Matter Plaza. We are truly bursting with a ton of different emotions since that memorable Memorial Day when George Floyd was murdered. So what do we do? How do we handle the roller coaster of emotions we are experiencing? With us today is Dr. Katherine Sharp Jones to help us understand and navigate what we are going through. Dr. Katherine Sharp Jones is a licensed clinical psychologist with over 30 years of experience in the public and private sectors. She received her bachelor's degree from Williams College and her master's and doctoral degrees from the George Washington University in Washington, D.C. She completed her clinical internship at Howard University Hospital. Dr. Sharp Jones began her career as a psychologist in the United States Army and in 2004 deployed to Iraq as a member of a combat, combat stress control unit. Dr. Sharp Jones is board certified in clinical psychology by the American Board of Professional Psychology and has on that organ and is on that organization's board of trustees. While serving as a psychologist with the Department of Veterans Affairs, Dr. Sharp Jones provided specialized services to veterans who experienced sexual trauma during their military service. She also served as Director of Psychology Training at the VA's Medical Center in Atlanta. Dr. Sharp Jones is the CEO and Principal Consultant of Sharp Behavioral Consulting, LLC, based in Norcross, Georgia. The firm provides professional development and training for businesses and healthcare organizations, as well as clinical consultation and supervision for mental health providers. Thank you, Dr. Sharp Jones, for being with us today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so, so since since the killings of Rayshard Brooks, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor, 
there's not only been social upheaval, but also mental and emotional upheaval, and not just in the Black community, but in other minority and the majority communities as well. I know that me personally, I've gone from just a heaviness on my heart to anger and to rage. So how does our perception of these events impact our mental and emotional well-being? Hmm. Good question. Um, my best response is to fall back on the tenets of cognitive psychology. Basically, um, cognitive psychology provides a good framework to help us understand our responses in situations like this, um, as well as in other situations. Basically, the model emphasizes Three, three points, three elements. You've got the situation or the event. You've got one's automatic thoughts about whatever the event is. And then those thoughts lead to reactions. And the reactions are emotional, behavioral, physiological. Um, and those reactions may be healthy and adaptive, or they may be maladaptive. Good example, um, let's say um, someone may respond to the shootings with anger. An adaptive response might be one of um, deciding to, to help. We've seen lots of folks go out and clean up the rubble after some of the rioting. We've seen people really dig deep into their hearts and um, um, take care of the first responders, take care of you know bringing water and food to the protesters, bringing water and food to some of the law enforcement officers. Mm -hmm. um, but responses can also be maladaptive. Uh, many folks may turn to um, abusing substances or taking out their frustration or anger on their own loved ones or sinking into depression, um, all based on how they interpret those events. So would the looting and violence be a maladaptive response to that? Not necessarily. You know, I get a little upset when I see or hear of people characterizing um, rioting behavior as nothing but criminal. Um, the reality is we tend not to look closely and examine the psychology of right, uh, rioting behavior. Um, and it's interesting because those of us of a certain age remember the riots of the 60s um, here in the United States, but there has not been a lot of um, study, a lot of research um, on rioting behavior in this country. More recently, there were some riots in Great Britain or the United Kingdom, as we now call it, in the UK in 2011. And I have seen some studies that um, indicate um, that it's more than mindless criminal behavior. Sure, the behaviors themselves may be criminal in that they violate certain laws, um, but there is a certain logic, as it were, 
um, to how rioting comes about um, from a social standpoint. I've heard people characterize rioting as um, a way for folks whose voices have historically not been heard to be heard. Um, it's an expression that comes out of helplessness. Um, from a psychological standpoint, even though the rioting may appear to be chaotic um, and unorganized, there are actually some kind of unspoken rules or boundaries of rioting. They're kind of led by what is done, who does it. There are certain boundaries that aren't crossed. So there's just a lot more um, to rioting behavior um, than to simply dismiss it as criminal and mindless. That's, that's very interesting. I've never even even given that any thought because I, I think what, what most of us think is that, you know, when there are protests, there's some peaceful protesters and then there the there's the criminal element that, you know, you know, that, that's getting back. And I have heard that people say, you know, it's a way of giving voice to the voiceless. I don't know mm -hmm. how you know, if that, if that makes sense in, in terms of what you're saying, but, but I have heard that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, so in addition to then our, our behaviors, then there are our thoughts and our feelings, right? Yeah. So sometimes I feel like I'm being understanding of the bubble that white people live in. And then other times I feel like, well, they live in the bubble because they're not us and they don't even really care, you know, what we're going through. And it really doesn't even matter to them. And they don't know that, you know, on a daily basis, we 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 just by the color of our skin, we have issues that they they can't even begin to think about. Right. Mm -hmm. I look at my my grandsons who are, who are teenagers and, and early young young adults and um. And I know that when they go when they go out, you know, we worry about them until they get back home. You know, um, we're not we can't rest until that we know they're home safely. But they their white counterparts, their their white friends don't have that same problem. And I know that if my black grandsons encounter law enforcement, that they're re the the law enforcement is going to react differently to them than they do again to their white counterparts. So it breaks my heart that the color of their skin is seen as a weapon. So. So my thoughts really are all over the place, you know, I mean, on the one hand, I want to be sympathetic. On the other hand, I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to be sympathetic at all. <laughs> so am I, am I normal? Or am I just a little bit crazy? <laughs> I think we're all a little bit crazy, but we're also all a lot normal. You are absolutely normal. Um, and all of us as individuals, as well as our different identities and communities live in our own bubbles. I can, as a woman, I don't really know what it's like to be a man. I can speculate. I don't know what it's like to be trans. I can speculate, but it's all coming from that perspective of my womanness. Um, but the real challenge is how you respond to all of those mixed up feelings and crazy emotions. Um, it, it, it may best be characterized as a normal response to an abnormal situation or an inhuman situation. Um, how does one adapt to 
being viewed as less than human, assuming that's your perception of how some whites treat some blacks. How do you adapt to being um, targeted um, as being seen as threatened? Um, and we all respond differently. Um, so yeah, you're, 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 you're normal, you're normal. So is there, is there any way that I can kind of like make that work in my own mind to? Okay. Okay. If we go back to the tenets of cognitive psychology, where we have an event and then we have our thoughts and then we have our response, thoughts and feelings, and then our responses. Let's take an example. Let's say, I don't know how well you know your neighbors. It's funny because I'm closer to the people who live not on either side of me, but further down the street. But we all know each I mean, I know them by sight. We're friendly. Hey, we see each other in the yard or whatever, whatever. So let's say one day you're out and you see your neighbor out of this context, out of the context of your neighborhood. You're back in the pre-COVID days. Let's say you're in the mall. Um, you're walking down through the mall and you see your next door neighbor and you open your mouth and you go, hey, and you raise your hand and your mouth is open and they just walk right by you. Don't acknowledge you, nothing, nada. Um, so given that scenario, what would your reaction be? What, what would you think about that? Just, just would be your first reaction. So uh, that's actually happened to me, um, uh, not with neighbors, but with coworkers for okay. sure. And um, yeah, I, I'm a little bit pissed off. <laughs> okay. So what was the thought that led to your being pissed off? What did you think in that moment? About well, that, that? They, they didn't want to acknowledge that they knew me outside of our normal environment. Mm -hmm. So that thought that they did not want to acknowledge you made you angry? Is that a fair assessment? Angry, hurt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what did you, how did that affect your interaction with them the next time you saw them? Or did it affect your interaction with them? I was a little distant, for okay. sure. Mm -hmm. So you felt, as they say, some kind of way. Right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. So your emotion and reactions were based on your interpretation that they did not want to acknowledge you in a public place outside of work. That, that was your thought. What if you had a little bit more information? What if you learned or knew somehow that your neighbor had just experience the death of a close family member. They were actually in the mall buying funeral clothes. What would your thoughts and feelings be in that situation? I would be so disappointed in myself because I, I would felt like I overreacted to the situation that I didn't know all of the details. And I just, I mean, you know, yeah. 
I would have been disappointed in me. And, and, you know, like shame on you, you should have figured that out or mm-hmm. should, should have known that they were better than that or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the reality is rarely do we have that extra bit of information. And in those situations, we make choices. They're not conscious choices, but we really do choose how we respond. Um, if you had had that extra bit of information, your interpretation might have been, oh, poor Mary, she's so distraught, she didn't even see me. Um, and you might be filled with compassion for her, or maybe even empathy, having experienced similar losses yourself. So it's all in that interpretation. And your response might have been, the, instead of even waiting for the next time you saw her at work, you might rush home and give her a call or ask, you know, and ask what you can do to help, um, what she needs, just being there in a more supportive way as opposed to being caught up in your own anger. So th- these situations, these deaths, these killings, um, they do affect us differently based on, I mean, our perceptions are, are based on our histories, our own life experiences, um, Lately, what I'm recognizing is particularly our own trauma experiences um, really impact, you know, those are the lenses through which we see our world and interpret our world. So can can I get back a little bit to violence in our communities um, um, during these times? And and one of the one of the one of the things that I so I grew up in this, you know, child of the 60s. And um, can remember, and in Washington D.C., can clearly remember um, the riots after the killing of Martin Luther King. And one of the things that I remember most was that we burned down our own communities. And I think we saw some of that just in the last week or so here in Atlanta. So why is it that we? Do, I mean, I'm not going to say that we need to go burn down Rodeo Drive, although I think they did do some of that, but. Um, that why is it that we 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 go we we go outside we don't go out we don't go outside of our own communities that, that we burn down what we what we have and and in many places we have like food deserts and the only the only grocery stores that we have are little mom and pop stores where we you know can get food and then we burn those down what what is that mm-hmm. I would say that that's a collective response that mirrors individual um, rageful responses. For example, if if I get angry at someone, let's say I get angry at one of my children um, and I get so angry that I pick up a glass and fling it against the wall. Now my children are adults now We don't have those types of issues. But when they were teenagers, there were times, I can't say I did it, but I felt like it. But some people do. I mean, you will break a glass or you will, you know, we use what's closest to us. It's about access. Mm -hmm. It's about, you know, what we have access to. 
Um, and in that moment of anger and rage and helplessness and all those other feelings that you're trying to make sense of, um, sometimes we do respond in ways that do not appear to be rational and aren't really rational and logical because we're not operating on that level in that moment. Okay. You, you've said something a couple of times that I, I wanted to make sure that everybody understands. You, you talked about cognitive, and I forgot the word that you used, but co our cognitive behavior, is that? Mm -hmm. Cognitive uh, behavioral theory and psychology. Can you kind of explain that to our, our, our lay audience? Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist, so my training and my profession has been in studying human behavior and then abnormalities or problematic human behaviors, um, mental illness and emotional and mental distress. So there are various theories of psychology um, that seek to explain human behavior as well as how to intervene, how to help. So you've got psychodynamic theory, you've got existential theory, um, you've got interpersonal theories, Jungian theory. But most recently, one of the most popular theories has been cognitive theory um, and related therapies. And it's a very simple way of um, examining how we approach life, how we determine what's wrong, and then how to make interventions. So with cognitive theory, in the context that we're talking about, where you identify an event, subsequent thoughts and feelings, and then responses, you're able to intervene the, 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 the the basics of the theory is that you intervene at that point of thoughts and feelings. So if I can, uh, using that example of the, the coworker or the neighbor who passes you in the mall, um, by changing your thoughts about that event, you can subsequently change your response. Okay. So if I can kind of head off those faulty uh, thoughts before they take a hole, I can actually um, respond in a much healthier manner. Okay, that's that's very helpful. I, I, I think that, that, that kind of clears it up for me. So I think, so doc, Dr. Um, Sharp-Jones, I, I think there are a lot of people now who are looking for answers not just to fix the systemic racism in our society, but to heal our own mental health. So I don't ever wanna be okay with what has happened. And I never wanna not be able to hear George Floyd call for his mama. But honestly, keeping it in my heart carries a very heavy burden. And I don't believe I can bear that daily. So how do we heal? There are a couple of things we can do. Um, number one, and I'm using myself as, as an example, is knowing your limits and honoring them. Um, if 
By that, I mean, we are inundated. Every time you turn the television on or log on to your computer or whatever device you're online, um, it's another story, either of, you know, something in the present time, a past atrocity, if you're on social media for any appreciable length of time, you're just inundated. Um, and it can be too much. Um, it's perfectly okay to step away. In fact, I highly recommend it. I've had to tell friends and family, you know, time out. I don't, don't send any more text messages or links to any more atrocities. Um, and the reality is, particularly for those of us who are more seasoned, as it were, um, it isn't just the last three months. This has been a lifetime for us. Um, I'm a 60-plus-year-old African-American Southern woman born during Jim Crow, um, so I, I, I know about all the, all the ills um, that we have endured. My great-grandparents were, were enslaved. So I, I got that. I understand it. Um, so it's not about necessarily um, being in a state of denial, but more of a state of protection. I've set boundaries. I listen to a wee bit of the morning news while I'm getting dressed just to make sure I didn't miss anything overnight. I do like to be informed. And I'll catch the evening news. Um, again, a wee bit just to make sure that I haven't missed anything um, significant. Um, but we have to protect ourselves. Thank you for that. I, 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 that's just great information. I, I find that sometimes I can't even turn on the news anymore. I'm like, I just, I don't want to hear it. So I appreciate that. And, um, and then I feel badly because I'm not listening to it, but I know that I can't, I just can't take it too much. So thank yeah. you so much, Dr. Sharp Jones, for joining us today and, and providing, providing us with your professional expertise into the best ways to handle the, our distress during these troubling times. I know it certainly helped me to better understand how to cope and maintain my sanity when I feel like the world around me is falling apart. So thank you very much for, for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Sherlyn. All right. So that, that's the, that'll end us and uh, this part one of this uh, podcast on dealing with your mental health during this time. Thank you for joining us again for our episode on coping with mental and emotional health during times of unrest. If you find yourself in a position where you feel you may need professional intervention or assistance to help sort through things, please reach out to Dr. Katherine Sharp-Jones for a list of vetted clinical psychologists in the metro Atlanta area. She can be reached at sharpbehavioral at att.net. Again, it's sharp, S-H-A-R-P-E, behavioral at att.net. She may also be reached at 678-404-5131. You can also reach out to the Georgia Crisis Access Line with the Georgia Department of Behavioral Health at 1-800-715-4225. The hotline is available 24-7. Please be sure to join us again for part two of this discussion. 
For more information on the work of the Gwinnett African American Caucus, visit us at www.gwinnettaac.com.